Timeless Voyager Radio, self-development radio for the open mind, interviews with leading edge authors and speakers, and now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. Hey, have I got a show for you this evening. I'm telling you folks, I'm sitting here with a book. The book is called Spiritual Politics, Changing the World from the Inside Out. Now, I'm sure that many of you are probably wondering what kind of publishing house would put this book out. Well, folks, here's the surprise. Ballantine, one of the biggest and largest publishing houses in the United States out of New York City, feels that this book is so important that they have added it to their line of thousands of books. The uh, authors, Corrine McLaughlin and Gordon Davidson, are with us this evening, and the book even has a foreword by the Dalai Lama. And um, I don't want to read too much from the foreword, but I will say this. If you are interested, civilization is founded on such human qualities as honesty, morality, compassion, and wisdom. But these qualities must be cultivated and sustained through systematic moral education in a conducive social environment. Normally such qualities should be inculcated from childhood. However, we cannot wait for the next generation to make the change. We need a revolution in our commitment to and practice of universal humanitarian values right now. The point is that we have to start acting morally in our politics, and I believe that's what the book is about. Let me welcome to the show the two authors, Corrine McLaughlin and Gordon Davidson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Bruce. Thank you. All right, let's start right out with what I think has to be the beginning here. What is this new political paradigm that you believe is coming about? Well, we see spiritual politics as um, a focus on the art of governance that addresses the greatest good for the greatest number, uh, the, the focus on consensus building among adversaries, which sees the soul or the highest potential in each person, whether friend or adversary, even though not being blind to their real problems. And it focuses on the next step in growth for each individual and, or each group. All right. Now, let's see if we can get our, our listeners to understand what's happening here. Right now, of course, anyone who has watched the political arena has watched nothing to do with um, um, morals at all. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with any of the problems that we are having government, governing-wise. None of those issues are ever addressed. Uh, all we hear is uh, horrible, horrible mudslinging back and forth. Now, what does that do to the nation? Well, I think there's, there's, that's definitely a very important uh, point you're raising, because we see that there, the new politics really has to do with, you know, approaching our our work of arriving at decisions that are for the best for everyone. You have to approach it with a different attitude. And I think what we have today in politics often is, you know, it's a win-lose game. It's a game where one side tries to uh, 
beat the other side down, assuming that it has all the right answers and, and anything that's different from each person's point of view has to be totally wrong. That is the core of where the, where the problem lies today. But there is a new politics that is already being practiced by quite a number of people. You do not hear much about it on the media and the news because, as you well know, the good news gets very little coverage in the media, and that's one of our great problems. Well, it certainly involves having a, conducting politics with a sense of ethics, but it goes be, even beyond that, which is when people in the political process who are willing to meet the so-called adversary with an open mind and a willingness to listen to the other's point of view, it becomes possible to find what is the best in both sides of opposing positions. There are groups working where approaching a problem by listening to the opposition, finding the good in the other's point of view, and, and creating a synthesis out of the two apparently opposing positions by extracting the good in both and moving the discussion to a higher level, you create a synthesis of the, of the opposing points of view. You know, Einstein said you can never solve a problem on its own level. You have to go to a, the transcendent function. I think that's really what these new political groups are doing. There are groups actually doing this, like Search for Common Ground here in Washington, who uh, have done some wonderful work on the abortion issue, bringing both sides together and finding where can they actually agree. And the points of agreement have to do with trying to pre prevent uh, or create more conscious conception so we don't deal with the problem when it's in effect downstream with the abortion issue, but prior to that with conscious conception and also focusing on adoption, which both sides agree is, is a solution that's better than abortion. All right, now, Corrine, I want to ask you this. Uh, the book goes way, way beyond just the issues that we're talking about. We're talking about hidden causes of world events. We're talking about social effects of the chakra imbalances. We are really moving into an area that has not been addressed, uh, certainly in uh, mass media. So let's start hitting some of this. Mm -hmm. What well, are the lessons? I'm going to start with this one. Uh, we have you have a, a, a chapter in your book called "Spiritual Lessons of Crises." Right. What are the spiritual lessons, and are we learning them? And if we're not, what do we need to do? Right. Well, we like to apply what's called the ageless wisdom of East and West, um, seeing it as the golden thread that connects the hidden or mystical teachings of the world's religions. Everything from, uh, for instance, in Judaism, the Kabbalah. Uh, the Essenes and Christianity, the Sufis and the Islamic tradition, esoteric Buddhism, and looking at events through that lens. So we look at the lessons learned. For instance, um, if you look at an earthquake or some kind of natural disaster, um, not only the individuals who lose their possessions in a fire or something, but each of us as we observe this through television, through being linked up to the media, we often also go through what would it be like for for me to go through that and how attached am I to my physical possessions or we'll look at issues like uh, nuclear energy and realize you know we we look in the in in our book spiritual politics at for instance even the sound of the word nuclear is sounds like new clear it's new and clear it makes everything kind of black and white that we we can't solve our problems anymore just through uh, nuclear weapons. And we see that, that nuclear energy is a type of fission that uh, breaks apart 
symbolically part of our problem in our society is how separate we all are and everything's kind of broken apart into its smallest parts but there's a new uh, type of energy fusion that brings the parts together and it's again symbolic of what's needed in society as the disparate parts fuse together we need to honor the unity behind the apparent diversity it's kind of symbolic of the process our society needs to go through All right. and as they're beginning to discover fusion of course it doesn't have the uh, uh, toxic waste that fission does <laughs> um, Gordon hidden causes of world events what are we talking about well, it's really looking at some of the deeper causes that exist. You know, we, we often uh, just look at this outer surface of things. Right, we see the symptoms, but what is the cause? Right, the causes, you know, we explore in the book in depth the whole process of how karma and even reincarnation might be operating uh, in the world in our political and social process. So we try to look more deeply at how these, these things work. For instance, you know, the karma, the law of cause and effect, or, you know, as you sow, so shall you reap. We look at that very uh, in depth in terms of our even our national life. For instance, you know, in, in this country, we have um, one example of that is we allow we ban certain pesticides in this country, but then we allow our corporations to sell them abroad to other countries. They produce fruits and vegetables, and then often we in this country buy back those same fruits and vegetables and eat those those products ourselves. That's a very interesting example of a karmic loop of poison fruit you know, poison, poisoning ourselves with our own. Uh, in, in concern for others. Yeah, now you, you actually say in the book that we absolutely have to start looking at the world and not the nations. That's right. That's right. It's very important, especially in terms of economics, where we see the whole planetary economy as a circulation system. And when, when you, to have health of the whole body, which means all countries in the world, we have to have a healthy flow of goods, services, resources, capital, technology, and information moving throughout the whole body of the, of the system. It's like the blood flow throughout a body. The planetary body has to have a good flow of all those, all those uh, components to have a healthy economy so all the parts are nurtured, all the nations. Well, we also look at nations having both souls, their higher self, their highest potentials they express in the world, and personalities that are often more self-centered. And we explore, for instance, in the United States, um, our soul that responds to the, the highest note of freedom, but which is also responsibility, and which looks at unity and diversity um, and human equality are some of the highest qualities that we express as a nation. And yet we also get caught in a lot of self-centeredness and our way is right. We try to impose it on others. Um, each nation is going through an integration of its highest self with its personality and learning to be concerned with the good of the whole, just not just our own national interests. So we're looking at the nation as not just some um, uh, piece of paper or document, but an actual entity right. that has its own karma and its own dharma. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. It's all a right. living being which is made up of all the people in it and and the collection and the history and the and the vision and ideals of the nation. Okay, so here we go. Then the nation has a chakra system. Mm -hmm. And if the chakra system is imbalanced, then we have the social effects. That's is that right. correct? That's right, absolutely. 
So I think, you know, you can look at if there's an imbalance in the sexual chakra, then you would have an excessive uh, drive for um, sexual expression. And also, it also relates to money. So you have an excessive pursuit of, of the money issue, and you can have kinds of uh, excess sexual problems like AIDS, pregnancy, abortion, pornography, rape. You see a lot of that. In but don't, I, I've got to interrupt you, but is that a worldwide problem, or is that just... Uh, in nations like ours that have this uh, no, chakra imbalance. it's not just limited to the United States, of course. If there's that imbalance, you could see it in, in a lot of different countries. Okay, so so the point here is that, that a country, uh, the people, are going to reflect or what? Or create? What do they do? Do they create the... I, uh, I think it's more, I think, a function of the consciousness of the people in the nation. So the nation is a reflection of the consciousness of the people living in it. Absolutely. And, and of course, there it also reflects its history, its 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 intent as it, when it was founded, its vision. You know, and nations have such have such different histories and such different uh, karmic patterns that they're working out that it, it there you know it creates a lot of individual uh, unique expression. There is a chapter in your book called "Guidance from the Enlightened Ones Throughout History." Let's see if we can at least frame this in the next minute. Yes. Well, in each culture and religion, there are those wiser beings who have gone through the human experience and have graduated from it. So they're called saints in the Christian tradition, masters in the Eastern or enlightened ones, uh, avatars, rishis. In different traditions, they have different names, but, but they're, they're the here same. To guide us okay, they're the same effect. Yes. In other words, a person moves into. Uh, would these be like the ascended masters? Yes, that's that's one uh, definition of them in in different traditions, but now, they're so available these, to help and guide yeah. us. So you, the, but they are guiding us from an ethereal realm. Right. That's but we correct. have to ask for their help. They can't interfere in human free will. Right. They can only advise or inspire. Now, what would happen is if our um, politicians, our leaders, were aware of this. They would be asking for help, wouldn't That's they? That's right, and some of them do. <laughs> Let's take this call from Pat, Stratford, Connecticut. Pat, you're on the air. Thank you. Uh, isn't it awful? I've got, I've got most of the information, and I don't have your name. I'm Bruce. You're Bruce. Yes. Okay, Bruce. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm, I'm just, just about falling asleep here, and I got the radio <laughs> on, and then I hear. Uh, your wonderful guests and your program. All right. I believe you... that we have something like this here in Connecticut. All right. And uh, got a question there, Pat? Uh, yeah, I'm very <laughs> interested in the book. And uh... okay, and, and thanks for your call, Pat. I'll take care of that. All right, let's uh, let's get back to uh, let's get back to this uh, one thing that I'm looking at, and uh, Corinne or or Gordon, either one of you can uh, can feel this. Devas, angels, and inner nature. Right. Well, we we have seen that um, when there is a cooperative relationship between humanity and these uh, spiritual kingdoms, especially the devas and nature, nature beings and the angels, um, there are wonderful things that are possible of accomplished, being accomplished. And we have worked in our own spiritual community, Sirius in Massachusetts, 
with the angelic forces in our gardens and in our much of our work there and have been able to do marvelous things like uh, communicating with the deer and the angels of the deer and eventually having them stay completely out of our garden without using any fencing whatsoever whereas in our neighbors gardens are quite uh, marauded by the deer they okay so the point that you're making is that and i don't mean to cut you off but okay. the point that you're making is that we can actually ask for and receive the cooperation that we need by just working with the devas, the angels, yes. and the inner nature of, of, of anyone and anything. Exactly. Uh, before working in the garden, we just have a ton of silence to become more receptive to the inner forces of nature. And, but let's expand and this, because a lot of people are going to say, what's a garden have to do with the, with the nation? So mm -hmm. tell them, what about, what about Cuba? What would we do? In terms of, uh, you mean the boat situation right now? Is what do we do in terms of our problem with Cuba right now? Well, to us, um, what's really needed in, in all of these situations is deeper dialogue. I think we're beginning to see that now, finally, in that when you cut off one nation or any part from the whole, you're going to create problems. And, you know, we were still holding on to these images of 20, 30 years ago with the Cuban Missile Crisis when uh, Cuba was more of a military threat. And but would we ask for more guidance from, from enlightened ones? Would we ask for the devas and the angels that protect the uh, uh, being which Cuba would be? Well, I think what we need to do is see the highest in our uh, former adversaries in terms of dialogues. And yes, ask for guidance when we're making a decision from you know, the, the soul within each of us, the highest self within each of us, from guidance from the enlightened ones, as we've talked about, the great masters and saints right. in all traditions, and in any decision, ask for their help. And now, what about, uh, uh, Gordon, uh, invoking the soul of a nation? Now, what is the soul of, of this nation and the soul of Cuba, for instance? Well, the, the, one of the qualities of the soul of America is an inc inclusiveness and, and a welcoming of people from other countries. That's part of our history, and it is part of our soul energy. And I think Cuba, of course, has you know a, a rich cultural history and has a wonderful, many wonderful traditions and, and a wonderful feeling for la language and rhythm and there's much of value in the Cuban culture. We have to do is find a way to bring them together and and have more of a, a, a real flow of communication and dialogue and interaction between the two countries. We feel that it's the time for the isolation of Cuba is over, and it's really time to welcome them into the family of nations, bring them in, let them have a flow of communication and, and investment and other things, which will bring them into the human community and make them part of the whole, and this kind of problem will, will be gradually eliminated because people will want to live in Cuba because it will be part of the human family. Now, you talk in your book about the concept of sending light to government leaders. Right. What about sending light to the, to the uh, leaders in Haiti that we want to get out? Well, again, part of the thing that we urge people to do is seeing the highest in each political situation and trying to draw that forth so that political leaders will align with their highest self. We encourage people to do a adopt-a-leader program. <laughs> in other words, find someone that's really in need of your help in sending them uh, positive energy, sending your prayers, seeing them surrounded in light, in the highest good, so that they'll act from, from a, a less selfish place, a more concern for the good of the whole.
But we're also not saying that you should not look at the flaws in, in the situation. Right. If there are people who are in, unalterably opposed to the good of the people, then it sometimes is necessary to use strong measures to remove them. And we, we certainly support the work of we did in the Second World War to stop Hitler. We think that sometimes there are situations that require right. that use of force. But it seems to me that you're saying sending light, understanding that we, each person individually, has the power to make a change collectively. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, we look at, in the book, we look at how science in psychoneuroimmunology, scientists are researching through looking at the neuropeptides, the effect of the mind on the body. Dr. Candice Pert at the National Institute of Mental Health was saying how literally your, your body is the outward manifestation of your mind. So we look at, well, if our personal health is so affected by our personal thoughts, how is our collective right. social health being affected by our collective thoughts? Okay, we need to take a call. Let's see if we can get this one in. We've only got about two minutes. Uh, Rosella, Santa Barbara, California. Welcome to the show, Rosella. Oh, thank you for letting me on and say what a wonderful program you have here. I had just listened to a program about guardian angels, and it came to me how if you explain a little bit more about our ascended masters, how they are guardian angels, and also the expression dharma and karma. I think you could explain that a little bit to me. All right. Thank you for your... Uh, that's a good point, Rosella. Uh, right. Let's let's see. We've got about a minute. Let's address those... <laughs> okay. Karma, karma dharma, guardian as, angels. Sure. Karma, as you sow, so shall you reap. What goes around comes around. So reaction. An action, right. a reaction. Right. And dharma, following one's inner path, what you know is the right work for you to do in the world. I think that's very important. Okay. And working with um, the uh, enlightened ones, the great masters of all traditions, are those humans like Jesus, Buddha, that have transcended just the human experience, have learned that lessons graduated from Earth are and are available to help us on an inner level. Right. So in other words, people shouldn't just take all of this information that we've heard about through religions and just put it in the religious books and in the religious halls and the churches, we should be using this information in our lives now. Right. That's right. And, and that's in spiritual politics, we really um, see Dalai Lama, who wrote the foreword to our book, as an embodiment of uh, learning to be peaceful, to not hate his enemies, the Chinese who destroyed his culture, but still actively engaged in the world, and so healing the split between the spiritual growth seekers and the political activists. We've kind of jumped around. I know we have, and I hope that both of you will forgive me for that. Uh, thought form building. What happens when we build th uh, the wrong thought forms, and what are the, good, the right ones? Well, what happens is we create uh, all the time with our thinking in the world, and we're not always uh, conscious of it. And when we do that unconsciously, you know, the kind of thoughts we carry around with us, uh, we build thought forms around us, and that helps create the experiences that we have every day. So if we're going around thinking, you know, the world's bad and terrible and people are horrible, um, those are the kinds of experiences that we'll have because those thought forms through the law of resonance will attract those experiences to us. Now, do you think the media is causing a lot of the problems then? Well, because well, they I think, yes, they are certainly making a major contribution to it because the tendency is to always focus on the, the downside, the negative, and really look at the worst in situations and uh, very 
reluctantly consider what's positive and good and what's going on in the world. So the media is actually creating a thought form that we then invest, so to speak, and we give it power, don't we? That's exactly right. Emphasizing conflict. I mean, it emphasizes violence and conflict, and, and that human beings are terrible in many ways, and, and yet there are hundreds of millions of very fine, wonderful people who are doing magnificent things to help the planet, which we very rarely hear much about. Yeah, let's, let's talk about guided meditations for planetary evolution. Well, it's, what we've seen is that um, through the power of meditation, the power of opening our minds to a higher dimension of spiritual energies, we can become channels individually and collectively for light and love and healing energy to flow out through us to our political leaders, to our uh, addressing some of these problems, and it creates an energy field or a climate within which solutions are easier to, to create. And we, we have done a lot of work in helping people to learn to do this kind of meditation, sending light to political leaders and, and love and support. And we think it's very, very important for many, many, many thousands of people to do this. And a focus on, for instance, the United Nation, which has tremendous potential as, as expressing the soul of one humanity and the great diversity represented there. For instance, we can meditate and send positive energy to world leaders who are gathered there. Let's be specific. What could people do on their own to improve the world through a guided meditation? What would be some ideas you would give them right now? Well, one thing we do is to, as you visualize in your meditation, humanity united, um, conflicts ending, seeing the best in both sides of any conflict being united into a higher synthesis. So in the spiritual politics, what we see is using our uh, inner quiet time to draw out the highest in world leaders to, uh, for instance, with uh, seeing in environmental issues, seeing us working cooperatively with nature to heal the earth, uh, in uh, uh, creating more peace in the world in any conflict situation. Uh, we'll see us uh, working cooperatively with what we see as the the devas, the nature spirits, the angelic kingdom uh, that work with the environment so that even the worst uh, toxic spills and so on can be uh, brought back to life, uh, the nat natural world around it. Uh, we can meditate on the soul of a nation, its highest potential, and draw that out so that the nation doesn't just express its selfish, self-centered uh, personality uh, designs. Um, each of these uh, seeing money being directed uh, to those who can use it to help others, all the good uh, groups and organizations around the world seeing uh, money as a form of energy and see it flowing into the hands of those who will use it unselfishly for others to create peace and, and healing in the world. These are specific uh, meditations that we've outlined in spiritual politics that can be very helpful. 
All right, let's see if I can do this. You've got 15 things that we can do to help planetary evolution. I got 45 seconds. Okay. Ask, <laughs> Ask new questions. Become more active in working on social problems from the causal level. Right. Host a coffee hour or informal salon in your home and invite friends. Uh, assist organizations and individuals who are working effectively to solve problems from a transformational perspective. I was trying to read 15, uh, let's see, 15 things we can do to help planetary evolution. There's no way I can do it. But listen to this one, folks. Call in on a radio talk show. Write letters to the editor or submit opted pieces to the editorial page. Well, of course, this is obviously the right thing to do, isn't it? Yes, yeah. exactly. And do something every day that symbolizes your commitment to the whole planet and to humanity something that reminds you you're a citizen of planet Earth as well as your own country. You might want to travel and learn about other cultures, send food to those in need in other countries, uh, promote the basic rights of people for food and shelter, uh, support the UN, um, letting your congressperson know of your interest and support for it. All right, now in the you back know. of the book, uh, in this bibliography here are two full pages of incredible resource material, right. all addresses for all these great places that you can write to and, and learn more about uh, helping. Guys, I'm awfully sorry that we ran out of time. I do want to tell everyone who's listening that you two got up, especially for the show. You're out there in Washington. I know it's late. I really appreciate the fact that you did it. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And thank you for having us on the show. Corinne McLaughlin and Gordon Davidson. The book is Spiritual Politics. Thank you both very much. I really look forward to meeting you sometime in person. Great. Great. We'll be in Santa Barbara uh, in, in late fall in November. Oh, great. Then you better make sure you call me. I will. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. All right. For the rest of you, listen, thanks so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it a lot.
Mr. Mr.